Oh, why, hello there, and welcome back to another episode of What's With You, Scooby Doo. Aaron Reynolds joins me for episode 144 of the podcast. Uh, Aaron, if you don't know him, is a powerhouse of the internet. Famously, Adam West. Yes, that's right. The Aloha Man from Aloha Scooby-Doo himself once said to Aaron, I know you from the internet, don't I? <laughs> it's a great story. Ask him about it sometime. Uh, Aaron, of course, is from uh, countless Twitter accounts, which I'm sure that you know and love. Swear Track, Bat Labels, and Birds. Uh, I highly recommend going back into the Bat Labels label cast, which was the podcast. It was a limited run podcast, but... There's so much fascinating stuff, and Aaron is just a powerhouse of a human being. We talk about what when Aaron first uh, agreed to do the podcast, he was like, "Give me something bad," and I was like, "Great, Scooby and Scrappy." Uh, that that era always pisses people off, but Aaron has a way of just making everything just just finding the fun and stuff, and uh, I, I love people like that, and uh, I think it makes for a great episode. Aaron, of course, is also, uh, he has a book coming out, Effin' Birds, which he talks about at the end, based off of the hit Twitter account, which, uh, if you don't know Effin' Birds, uh, go get some fantastic responses to emails from coworkers if you want to get fired. <laughs> uh, you know what? Enough of this jibber-jabber. The episode can speak for itself from here, but before that, things that can't speak for itself... If you want to get in touch with the podcast, as always, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash what's with you, Scooby-Doo, and like us. You can email the podcast, what's with you, Scooby-Doo, at gmail.com, as well as Twitter and Instagram, at WWY, Scooby-Doo. You can find the music that I write at www.ysd.bandcamp.com, and if you so choose, you can buy merch for this podcast. That's right. We got t-shirts. We got throw pillars. We got iPhone cases. We got tapestries. Can you think of something else that you might want? I might throw it up. Who knows? But check out Let's Do This, L-E-T-S-D-O-O-T-H-I-S dot com slash merch, M-E-R-C-H, and you can find whatever your heart so desires. Here we go. Episode 144 with Aaron Reynolds. Thank you, as always, for listening. And once again, to the podcast... Let's do this. Or like, like, uh, like Fanta or like Polar Seltzer, just something that's like not (laughs) Royal Crown. Royal Crown. Royal Crown is the finest of colas. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Remote controlled cola. What's with you, Scooby-Doo, today on the podcast, through the miracle of the internet, I have Aaron writing stuff, Reynolds? Sure. Great. (laughs) Were we recording the whole time or just now? Uh, eh. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Don't worry, all the sensitive stuff won't go in. (laughs) Whatever I said to get myself into trouble, I mean, I said it. So I did say it. I once did have somebody, names will not be named, 
who was like, and can you email me the episode uh, before you post it? Just I want to make sure I didn't say anything that could come back to haunt me. And I was like, yeah. great, cool. Yeah. Uh, emailed it to him and uh, didn't hear back for like two weeks. And I was like, hey, planning on posting the episode. Everything cool? And then I proceeded to have to retell him like five times. <laughs> What the podcast was, what he had done, who I right. was. <laughs> it was like, oh, okay, man. Uh, and then he got into a Twitter beef with Chelsea Clinton. So, anyways, uh, <laughs> I I was recording an episode once of my very old podcast, the Bat Labels Labelcast. Very is it old, that old? Like, I don't know, two years ago, three years ago, in, three years ago? in the yeah. internet. That is very old. Yeah, it's been two years, I think, since I've posted an episode. Mm. Something like that. At least a year since I've posted an episode, and. It was intermittent for that whole year before that episode came out. Uh, but um, there was an episode I recorded that was the greatest interview. And in the middle of it, my guest told me the story of what it was like to get a cease and desist letter. And we had to cut that whole section out. But my God, did I learn a lot about <laughs> cease and desist letters and and the importance of getting a cease and desist letter. Because a cease and desist letter means that somebody who would not talk to you before has noticed you, and has started a conversation. <laughs> I'm glad that I've gained your attention. Allow me to ask you several questions. <laughs> yes. I mean, he he turned he turned his cease and desist letter into work, into good, like, legit work for the company. Damn. And so, yeah, it's like, hey, you know, that's... That's a that's silver a lining to a cloud. Exactly. And that cloud was, lining. like, you know, a vague cloud off in the distance being like, hey... <laughs> It was a big lawyerly like mega corporation saying that was our IP you used and you better stop it. Yeah, right. I mean, cease and desist letters are just like, meh, we're complaining. Yeah. <laughs> okay. By the way, um, I I don't know how you introduce the episodes that that you talk about on this show, but I'm I am going to. This is what I need to do to get through the rest of <laughs> talking about what I just watched this afternoon, because. Um, there, I, I find that very interesting. Uh, having watched <laughs> my fair share of Scrappy Doo by now, and hearing people constantly complain about it, I, uh, I, I actually like a couple of the mini episodes that we watched for today. I was like, oh, this is kind of enjoyable. <laughs> you know what? I think Scrappy Doo was probably the best part of everything <laughs> that we saw today. Right. I don't have any objection to Scrappy Doo. Actually, one of my favorite things I read was that. Uh, uh, Mark Vanier uh, uh, piece on the origins of Scrappy Doo. Have you read that? Mm. He, he was one of the writers in the writers' room. Of this. I mean, it's, it's yeah. Been on the I mean, he's ten years now. Yeah, and yeah. also yeah. one of like the biggest historians who talks most yeah. frequently about Hanna Barbera in that early age yeah, and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I read that one. Oh, I'll send it to you. It is a tremendous story about like uh, he. <laughs> he at one point he says that like. Uh, when people talk about Scrappy Doo to him, you know, you'd think that Scrappy Doo had killed their families <laughs> or, you know, like he was some kind of monster. Uh, but then he lays out like the complete origin uh, from like a business perspective of of Scrappy Doo. And I like it's it is a tremendous, tremendous read. I mean, I get it. I watched James Bond Jr. I loved it. <laughs> I mean, this is no mystery. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was his nephew, though, right? Yes. Okay, great. It was his nephew. Yeah, yeah. Uncle Scooby. Yeah, it was his nephew. Uh, <laughs> and then IQ was the stand-in for Q in James Bond Jr. 
You know what? I never watched James Bond Jr. What? I, uh, I think I'm too old. Odd job shows to up. Watch. Too old? That show came out in like 83. <laughs> Mm, oh, then maybe I wasn't too old. Maybe I was just too discerning. <laughs> <laughs> By that point, you had, you had read all of Ian Fleming. I was like, I was, you know what? In 1983, eight years old, I would have, uh, I would have been a, a definitely a James Bond super fan, thanks to the miracle of the independent television station uh, City TV, mm. which ran James Bond marathons all the time, and their marathons weren't like back to back to back to back because. Uh, City TV, because they didn't have primetime programming because they were in Indy, um, their most nights were starting at 7.30. That's when the first movie started. So okay. after the news, after the news, the first movie. Then after the first movie, another break for news. Great. And then another movie. And then another break for news. So you were keeping up movie. with current affairs and getting through all the yeah. works of Roger Moore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And... Uh, the, my greatest memories of those times are the of the intros because it was great movies, late great movies, and late late great movies were the the titles of those three sections. And and my favorite was the third block when it got to late late great movies. The second late was like literally handwritten over the existing <laughs> graphic. And there was also a variation where someone had written not so in front of great movies for whenever they were running like really terrible films. And um, uh, Mark. I'm trying to think of the Mark Daly, who was the newscaster, but also the announcer uh, for the city TV promos, who had this deep, resonant, very radio voice, very authoritative. He would really he would warn you away when some of the films were bad. (laughs) They were running Hard Ticket to Hawaii. And I don't don't know if you've seen it, but you really need to see Hard Ticket to Hawaii because it's glorious. I'm writing this down. I thought I had hallucinated it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm going to describe it for you in a moment, but he, I, I really clearly remember the start of it, him saying, uh, I don't think you want to stay up for this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know who Andy Sidaris is? Uh, uh, Gollum. No, nope. That's, that's Andy circus circus. <laughs> Andy Sidaris, um, made a whole bunch of B movies. Okay. Uh, they were originally drive-in fodder in the in the later 80s but then he became like cable tv nighttime you know movie fodder in the 90s okay and uh after he passed away uh i found out that also he had won a number of emmy awards because he revolutionized how sports were televised uh he was the original director of monday night football Hmm. and he was the guy who who brought in emotional reaction shots of athletes and stuff like that, like staying close to see their emotions, <laughs> yeah, which right. is a big deal in sports coverage, right? Like that's uh, yeah. all of our sports coverage now. Yeah. And somebody so, makes um, the touchdown. You need to see the dance afterwards. Well, that's it. Right. And his face and what his face, you know, is yeah. showing to you. So anyways, uh, you need was, to see the guy uh, on the bench just going like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so it turns out his retirement present to himself was that he would go to Hawaii every year with a group of karate champions soap opera stars and playboy playmates and make an action film wait a minute and (laughs) every one of those films has a motorcycle that goes through a wall uh has a remote control car at some point uh has a bazooka because i think they had a bazooka or something like that but something gets shot with a bazooka in hard ticket to hawaii it's a blow-up doll that gets shot with a bazooka in one of the most I'm hallucinatory and like weird. And I'm uh, already watching this right now. Imagine, (laughs) imagine a film that is about diamond smugglers. Okay. 
but halfway through it's about drug smugglers. Perfect. And for a while it doesn't know whether it's about diamond smugglers or drug smugglers, and then it just changes. Isn't that um, the plot of Living Daylights? A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Except this is not intentional. I think somebody rewrote the script, but only, halfway through, only half the pages got you know distributed. Yeah, um, and <laughs> it's it's got a uh, it's got this pair of. Uh, like they're investigators, but they also have a cargo plane business and they, you know, they, they fly cargo in and out of Hawaii and their boyfriends are secret agents. And <laughs> yeah. Um, but so the, the opening of the film involves a, 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 they're shipping a box that says it has infected rats in it. And another, <laughs> so no box, one's going to check that, right? No, nobody's going to check on yeah. infected rats and another box that had a big old snake in it. And the snake gets out and it eats the infected rats. And for the rest of the film, there's this B plot of a snake terrorizing Hawaii. Great. It has nothing to do with the main plot. It's just like scenes where somebody is like having a they're they're trying to take a, a picture with their Polaroid camera. They're holding up in front of them and their girlfriend. They're like, hey, say cheese for the camera, honey. And they hit it. And then they get like eaten by this bloodthirsty boa constrictor that leaves chunks of bloody meat on the ground after they've, been, <laughs> after they've eaten the people. And. And I'm spoiler. The reason that that snake is there is so that in the final scene of the film, please tell me somebody throws heroes, it like a spear. Oh no, no! It's our heroes are trapped in the <laughs> bathroom, and um, you know the bad guy's going to shoot them, and then the snake comes out of the toilet <laughs> and he kills the guy. And then the oh, and then the snake gets killed with the rocket launcher. The boyfriend shows up with the bazooka and shoots. Oh, thank the head God off of the snake with the bazooka. Yeah, thank God that uh, happens. And then I think he says, "Just when you thought it was safe to take a pee." I think that's the big kill line after killing the toilet snake. Well, now I don't make uh, you. No, now I don't feel so bad for making you watch Scrappy Doo. Uh, <laughs> no. So we did. Hard to get to white. Great film. Yeah. We. Uh, uh, I'm. I'm literally going to watch it after we finish this up. Uh, I'm sure it's available somewhere for free. Uh, so we... I believe if it's not on YouTube, you can find definitely a, a selection called uh, Hard Ticket to Hawaii Best Scenes. It is all you need to see. <laughs> Just a nice, like, yeah, dry 45-minute cut. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The whole film's an experience that you should you should watch, but yes. You'll lose some of the more subtle points. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but we're here to talk about... Uh, uh, I don't know how to say this anymore because I've gotten so confused with how these things are packaged. It was shown probably sometime in the 80s, and iTunes was nice enough to bundle three mini-sodes up for us uh, as part... I think this was part of the uh, Richie Rich uh, hour. Who knows? I don't know. It's The title card that was on it when I watched it said Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo. Right. And it, it said it was from 1982. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Great. That's all we need to know. Sure. Yeah, that sounds sounds accurate. <laughs> That's as many facts as you really need for this. Yeah, sure. From nineteen eighty two. I was seven years old. I I you know what, I remember strongly having a, like a disdain for Scooby Doo at that time. So, you know, I probably didn't watch that one. What was your discerning aspects? I think it just seven wasn't years like, old you were hating things? Yeah, I didn't I, well there was also a thing that was on after school called the uh, Magic Shadows. Uh, on TV Ontario, which is like our our public public broadcaster in mm. Ontario, uh, it's like it's like PBS right. except it's province by province. They they have them and um, TVO uh, had a great programmer for their movies uh, named Elwi Yost, uh, who's actually the father of Graham Yost, who wrote um, uh, uh, Speed. 
Okay. Justified. He was the showrunner of Justified. What a great yeah, series. Yeah. He was. was also a surfer um, in the David Milch show, uh, John from Cincinnati. No, I'm yeah, just kidding. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, uh, would program like Saturday Night at the Movies and he did all these great interviews, but he ran a kids' show. Uh, that was directly competing with cartoons where he would show really great movies, but he would like contextualize them with a great intro aimed at a seven-year-old. Seven-year-old Aaron, this is why you're going to like Captain Blood starring Errol Flynn. Yeah. And he would contextualize it with like, this is a guy who was an Olympic fencer. And it turned out he was not a very good fencer, but everybody liked his smile and his enthusiasm and his crazy sword fighting style. And Hollywood put him in movies. And this is the first one. In like Flynn. Yeah, exactly. And so I that's I was probably watching that instead of Scooby Doo. That's so a I was wild. Snobby child. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Uh uh I I on the other hand, I was uh just full bore into cartoons and everything trashy. I didn't get pretentious Excellent. until later. Uh but the first one The sun up, went down. Oh, wait, hold on, sorry, the sun went down. I gotta turn the lights on here. <laughs> you can, we're, we're looking at each other on video. You can see I've got no it's all dark. Give me two seconds. You got a nice brick wall though. I do have a nice brick wall, don't I? Let me do this. And there we go. Light. Let there be light. Action. But, oh, you now have a nice contrast with the uh the uh, tungsten the bulb and the nice and, yeah. yeah. Whew. You're in an Edgar Cinematic. Wright movie. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but it starts off with basketball bumblers. Here's the thing. It just I'm going to say that this is every 80s movie. Uh, yes. You know, like the down on, tennis shoes. Yeah. And like, yeah. The, the down on their luck. Uh, nerdy has to go up against the bullies. All of these. Every single show from this. Or not, uh, not show, but uh, Scooby-Doo thing. Where it's not the gang, it's, you know, this this reduced workforce. It always seems to be just them going up against bullies. Right. I, it seemed like all three of these were riffing on other pieces of culture. Yep. Um, and when I say riffing, I kind of mean just outright borrowing the elements and plots and, and, and feelings of. Sure. Because, like, because basketball, basketball, uh, what was it called? Basketball bumblers or basketball blunders? What was it? Something but it was like hmm. it was it was computerized footwear right right video games he uh, kept calling it a video game <laughs> yeah he kept calling it video game yeah it wasn't really uh, it was a remote control yeah big um, ed yeah yeah <laughs> and then it was the the jocks versus nerds yeah right it was it was all of those things um but evidently they're also, not really even jocks because they need computerized tennis right, shoes they need computer size. well i think they might have been because they were jocks but they were the wrong jocks to be playing basketball because i don't know if you noticed but they looked to me like guys that should be playing football they were or all wrestling short yeah wrestlers mm -hmm. no. they were these massive lunkhead guys and i was like who who put these guys on the team? I gotta go Why visit Big come? Ed and get more shoes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what? And that's the other thing is Big Ed, the guy who's the, the the Uber nerd running the evil computer program that's running their shoes. Video game is also a massive football player guy, right? Like with huge broad shoulders, and I think that someone somewhere maybe somebody on the art staff or somebody on the writing staff was bullied as a child <laughs> by a large football guy 
and this was their like their revenge. When I'm writing but, cartoons, I'll show you. <laughs> he obviously exactly. also had a New York accent because everybody has a New York accent. <laughs> uh, I actually had a lot of questions about this episode, and so um, great. I, I I tweeted at Diane Duane, who's one of the credited writers on it. Uh, to ask her if she had any recollections of it, and um, uh, her her entire recollection of it was that she used the money from working on Scooby Doo to bankroll her so she could write. So you want to be a wizard, <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. She couldn't remember anything else about working on Scooby Doo other than it bankrolled her started the Young Wizard series. So I was well, like, well, you know, that's you know, that's a good that's a good thing that came out of this episode of Scooby Doo. I will also say that that is kind of something that I find about Hanna-Barbera in general that I really love is, the, with the exception of maybe, you know, Margaret Vineer, there's no real recollection. There's never a straight story. There's never details. It's always just right. like, I don't know, we were we were doing something. You you hear yeah. every Joe Barbera story. He's like, ah, I, you know, I was thinking about this thing, and then another dude walked in, and then I got interrupted, and then all of a sudden it was made. If you ever hear the story about how he made Charlotte's Web, it's the weirdest story. We're like, no, Seagram's the guy who owns Seagram's, the alcohol yeah, company, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. gets the rights to the novel, and he's like, we want to make a cartoon. And he's like, okay. So then he has to like take a, a helicopter flight to uh, visit uh, E.B. White in Maine, and he hates helicopters. This is the story about how he made the movie, by the way. Yeah, and he yeah. hates helicopters, and he had to rent a car because he didn't want to take the helicopter anymore. And then he's like, and we were the first ones to have a talking pig. It was years before Babe. End of story. You're like, <laughs> great. Great. Uh, yeah, that's... Joss Whedon, how'd you make the Avengers? You know I had some really bad sushi one time. <laughs> yeah. And it yeah. reads like that, but that also gives it this, like, you know, I don't know, honesty or just weird yep. kind of vibe. Well, yeah, I think that on a show like this, they're just trying to, like, they're trying to get it made. Um, <laughs> one of the one of my favorite uh, stories in that, in because we were talking about the uh, Mark Vanier uh, uh, Scrappy-Doo origin story piece. Uh, one of my favorite stories is him talking about how you would get a Scooby-Doo script approved. You would go in and you would pitch him something uh, and they would go and look and they would say, oh, we did that in season one and also in season four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you know how many gators there are? Yeah, exactly. Nine. <laughs> really? I don't know, but I bet you I bet you that's right. You should do some obsessive like statistics for Scooby Doo because I bet there are great statistics for Scooby Doo. If you how like, many times? Yeah, ghouls versus phantoms versus. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. How many times it's just a real estate scam? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that there's like a way to calculate money too, like how much money Scooby and the gang saved people, or how much money you know the, uh, or uh, even like the the realism. Of the villains' plots, what? How much money did they stand to make? Yeah, versus you know, having a regular job, <laughs> just being like able that. to sell that farm or buy that yeah, farm. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot. There's a lot that could go on there. Uh, so they dress like janitors to get big at. I don't know. There were so many parts of it. <laughs> it really just did feel like because it was ten seconds into the episode where it's like. 
it just cuts to Big Ed saying like, I'm going to control the electric sneakers with my video game. Like there was no mystery. It and, just... and can I say this? I thought all these different times they were like, oh, were there janitors? They must be going to go get the computer wet or get the sneakers <laughs> wet, you know? But no, that's never – nobody thinks of – that I, I don't know. Maybe. But even the plot of being janitors, they showed up. Yeah. He was like, This isn't a mop, it's a dog. And Scrappy yeah. puts a bucket on his head. I actually have it written down on my notes. I'm turning them to the camera so that you can see them. It says, uh, Scooby, keep quiet and act like a mop. I wrote <laughs> that, line. that was that a direct quote. A, that's a direct quote from the episode. And I, I loved that line very much. Yeah. Even though I found the back half of that episode hard to follow because I was. I was losing my will to watch it. You know, I was starting to like, I was starting to zone out on it a little bit. Well, because I, I feel did, like once, yeah. once Scrappy takes the half a computer, which still works. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, well, he's going to control it and they're going to win. That's the end of it. They're going to win. It's just yeah. going to be gag, 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 gag. And I've already seen that. Yep. None of the gags were as good as the one from uh, Maltese Mackerel where they've all got fish strapped to their feet. I mean, we'll get to that at some point. Do we, I did want to. If only we had roller skates. Yeah. I also wrote down that line right here. If only we had roller skates. No uh, roller skates. Yeah, if, if we. Here it is. Look, look. I literally wrote it down. If we just had, had roller, roller skates. skates. There we go. Um, roller blades had I, yet to be invented. Yeah. I did think a number of times while watching the basketball episode that no one who wrote it had seen a basketball game or really understood the rules of basketball because several times people did things that were goaltending. <laughs> I was actually watching it with two of my kids. One of my kids was smart enough to say, no, I don't want to watch this. <laughs> but two of them watched it with me, and the, 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 the middle child just kept saying, that's against the rules of basketball. You can't actually block a shot like that once it's like – Go into the net. You can't like come up through the net and knock it back out. That's that's a, that's goaltending. That's against the rules. That's so, so funny that you went for that when everybody is traveling constantly. Oh yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Everybody's um, just grabbing the ball and just running. <laughs> plus, when it showed the computer screen that was controlling all the all the players and yeah. where they were, I was like, "This is the worst defensive alignment I've seen in my entire life." Yeah, this is bullshit. That's what I said. <laughs> bullshit defensive alignment. Uh, also, just running around uh, and yeah, just making just Scooby going in circles. They're like little tornadoes. Scooby going That's through the not... hoop a million times gets them sixty-six yeah. points. You can't do that. You have to have. You have to take it back to center. Oh, the other the other team gets it. You got to cross the. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> and so I would have had a basketball, basketball game if it weren't for you meddling Scooby Doo writers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I. Uh... Yeah. I have no other notes on this episode. Oh, no, I have one more. It says, are there not better uses for this technology? <laughs> no. Have you seen the guy who's using it? Uh, yeah. What? Like, they could literally fly around when they had those shoes on their feet. And it's you amazing that he didn't like... uh, put fans on them and give them to girls to blow their skirts up. I mean, this is, like, <laughs> this is a dude in porkies. <laughs> oh, yeah, it literally is. <laughs> I, uh, I'm very proud to be a, a Canadian. Uh, our tax dollars funded Porky's. Thank you very much. Because I'm proud to be a Canadian where I know you... what my money's about. <laughs> oh. <laughs> do, do you know the story of uh, Porky's being funded by Canadian taxpayer money? No, but that, that sounds was great. The, it was the tail end of, it was the, the film that broke the system. 
because Canada tried to get a, a Canadian like film culture going for a while, okay. uh, which was, you know, which was great. And, and the way that Canada did it was they said, OK, you know, uh, private investors, if you invest money in uh, film production, that's Canadian film production, I'm going to give you big tax breaks. So every dentist became a film producer. <laughs> and and so like at first, I mean, this is how David Cronenberg got his start. He got to make a couple of straight up really weird out there films that were funded by dentists. Great. Uh, Ivan Ivan Reitman's first film was made under this program. Space Jam? Uh, uh, no. <laughs> that is not the one. <laughs> oh. Uh, but uh, and then a couple of like really great films uh, do you know out of the blue Dennis Hopper film? Uh, I tweeted about it a lot recently because for its 40th anniversary, uh, the the rights holders were putting together a 4K uh, restoration of it, hmm. and uh, no, I don't think it I've started to show up at film festivals and stuff like that. So um, uh, Dennis Hopper is brought out to Vancouver. There's this dentist. He definitely was a dentist who's going to direct this slice of life film about uh, uh, family dynamics. Mm-hmm. And um, on like the second or third day of shooting, I'm I'm doing this from memory, so I might not. Let me let me guess. Right, but, Does it take but, a like, left turn? <laughs> yeah, he he can't he can't handle it, and they need somebody to step in as the director. And Hopper agrees to do it if he can rewrite the script. No, and he rewrites the script with the input of the 15 year old girl who's playing like the the lead. Great, and they make it very real and very raw. And very much about like the punk scene in Vancouver in, you know, in uh, 1980. And uh, uh, yeah, like it's, it's fantastic. Uh, Out of the blue. Yeah. And it's been a lost film for forever. So it's thrilling that it's, uh, that it's come back. Apparently there's going to be a list in the episode description of just good movies that I need to watch. And bad movies I need to watch. And bad movies. I I like a lot of bad movies. Mm. I like bad movies. Mm. They're not really bad. They're just entertaining in a different way. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Differently entertaining movies. That's right. That's That's it. That's what that is. I'm a video American. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, um, uh, Porky's, uh, there was like a huge public outcry after people figured out that Porky's was funded under this system and uh and so the system went away oh, i love that that was a uh that that was the hair that broke the camel's back yeah exactly it was porkies the the government yeah cheers the government of canada led to me and a bunch of other seven-year-olds getting in trouble at a sleepover <laughs> yeah <laughs> well done you know what the thing is porkies isn't even good no that's the upsetting part it's not good but neither is showgirls <laughs> Showgirls, though, is it great? <laughs> because maybe it's great. Uh oh my god! Twenty years we ago, do, wait, we do what we do in Vegas. We gamble. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, Sorry. that's second only to money, baby. Uh, yeah, money, baby. Well, I uh, it, it must have been twenty years ago. Now I went to a play, and the big draw of the play it was. Richard Dreyfus and Elizabeth Berkeley. Oh, sweet. <laughs> and Richard Dreyfus was horrible. Oh, really? <laughs> he didn't know any of his lines. And it was like one of these things where like the actors seem to just get sick of having to cover for him. Oh boy. <laughs> so like it was a there was like a really funny moment of just them letting him flounder. 
Oh my god, that's great! <laughs> uh, Elizabeth Berkeley oh, was would've. great. I would really enjoyed that. Very you professional. You know what? She was recently at uh, Fan Expo in Toronto, and I I didn't go say hi to her. Oh uh, yeah, but uh, it was her and Mario Lopez and what Mark Paul Gosselaar? Is that his name? Is Mark Paul Gosselaar? Is it Zach. Zach. <laughs> yeah, we could just say Zach. Yeah, Zach yeah. Morris. So the so the center of the center of the center trio. The weirdest part was when he looked directly at you and talked to you and no one seemed to hear what he was saying when he was talking to you. (laughs) And you were like, what? And he was explaining what was happening around him and you were like, I'm I'm looking. (laughs) (laughs) Damn, dude. Yeah. I uh, I didn't say hi to any of them. I felt very bad. But they were right next to um, Jonathan Frakes. And so. Oh, great. So. Uh, are you into Star Trek? I've, I've never asked you that. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Am I into Star Trek? I, yes. I, uh, I own a significant number of Star Trek uniforms. I'm just going to put that out there. Uh, uh, I, have... I, I will add uh, freakishly authentic Star Trek uniforms. Oh, correct? Yes. I, I own a, an Into Darkness uniform made for the production of into darkness you might have just you know bought that last time you were on that's very possible because you needed to source a fabric that didn't exist anymore or something yeah i can't remember what we were talking about yeah anyways it's uh (laughs) yeah i own a i own an into darkness uniform i own a i own a beyond uniform i own a season three original series sciences tunic and a season one original series um, engineering tunic, and so the difference is season one and two are velour. Ooh. And season three is season three is nylon. Season three looks real nice on screen. The velour ones get you know get ratty after a while. You can see halfway through season two, you're like, wow, these uniforms are falling apart. Thanks, high definition. Gif, inform <laughs> the men, we're going to be wearing velour jumpsuits. <laughs> velour is not comfortable. Also. Um, <laughs> And then I own, what else have I got? I got a, uh, there's more. What am I forgetting? Which, I'm gonna, one of my uniforms is going to be mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to um, open oh, the closet and it's going to be slightly too like, tight? How did you do that? Exactly. Yeah, so I didn't gain this weight. <laughs> no, I probably did. Uh, I do have actually two uniforms coming to me that aren't that aren't even in my closet yet. I paid for them a while ago. Two? So, um, yeah, two of them. Uh, one is a Deep Space Nine uh, Niners jersey from the baseball team. Great. Yeah, gotta have that. And a, uh, I also have uh, the, the uh, Captain Kirk bomber jacket from Star Trek V. <laughs> the one he wears over the t-shirt that says go climb a rock. Nice. And and when I, when I saw it available, I was like, you know what? I am at about the body shape of... Uh, Star Trek Five, William Shatner, <laughs> and that that outfit is a pair of jeans, a pair of comfortable hiking boots, great, a t-shirt, and this bomber. And I'm like, yep, I can throw that together. I can do that. I might even shave off my beard to do that. Whoa, dude! But I probably won't because I feel like I look like a giant baby without my beard. That's why I grew it in the first place. I know the feeling. Uh, same here. Uh, the one thing that I that I for. I'm going to say it's an amount of time that would be considered serious and not just a passing whim. I was trying to source uh, an original Riddler uh, suit with the lining, the lining on the inside. That's probably the best feature of it because you can find Riddler suits, but the lining is very difficult. (laughs) I think you're just going to have to go to a tailor and have that done. Yep. 
Yep. You can do it. And I was and I Don, was serious for a while. If Don Cherry can get his shirts done, then you can you can get a Riddler shirt. <laughs> I have Guy Fieri still clothed. Uh, exactly. So, oh, like you said, uh, just ripping things off, Maltese mackerel. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, Although, Maltese mackerel. I, I wondered several times during this episode, who is this for? Because <laughs> it went directly from a Maltese falcon reference, like so deep, that it has Sydney Greenstreet and Peter Lorre, like, two impressions. guys pretending to be those two. Yeah, doing the impressions of those of the two villainous characters from the Maltese Falcon, and they look like them. They're, they're drawn to look like them. Right. And then it goes and does a series of shots from Vertigo. And I'm like, wow, who, who is this cartoon for? Oh, yeah, the kind of falling off the building thing. Yeah, the falling off the building shot. Uh. Straight up from Vertigo. And I'm like, this is so... Here we're doing some, you know, some classic Bogart noir film, and then we're going to do some Hitchcock. <laughs> but, and I mean, in this barely doing the... Cartoon? Doing the yeah, bare... Just, yeah. just the bare oh, yeah. minimum. Just enough for you to recognize it, What's and this? then, and then to push it over the top, it's like, oh, you're not just getting any old bejeweled fish statue. It's the Maltese mackerel. Yeah, what right. Time. What well, was then. the what was the Sydney Green Street movie where he pours the water on the table? Where he's like, see what I did there? I pulled water on the table. Why? Because I can. <laughs> oh. What is that from? It's the most ridiculous scene because he's at the end of this long table and he just pours a pitcher of water on the table. Because I can. Why did I do that? Because I can. Oh, that's great. Uh, Every once in a while I think about there's a gag in uh, All Through the Night, which is a Bogart comedy. He's not in a lot of comedies. Nope. uh, Not known uh, for his comedic timing. Yeah, but it's it's snappy and he's really good in it. It's huh. a bit of a it's a screwball comedy about Nazis, if that's possible. Oh weird. Uh, oh, I guess we're no yeah. angels. He's in that. Yeah, that's fine. Oh, yeah, he's in. Yeah, and he's in. Um, he's in Sabrina. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. So uh, <laughs> there's this there's this great running gag in all through the night where uh, the the bar manager keeps coming up to hassle him, and uh, the bar manager always has his cup of coffee in his hand. And uh, and Bogart always closes with, yeah, what time is it, Joe? And, has the, and the bar manager looks at his watch and pours his coffee all over his own <laughs> shirt, like every time. I'm like, yeah, that's that's my kind of that's my kind of joke. If Bogart had if Bogart had been in like the '50s version of Moonlighting, <laughs> yeah, that's, that that's would have been great. Yeah, that that would have been it. Uh, what so? I maybe it's because I'm not like just up on all the things that happened in Scooby-Doo, but I found myself asking at the start of this episode, why is Scooby-Doo a detective and why is he in a detective agency and why are there no adults supervising? So this is what it, it was. It took me. I, yeah. I watched this twice because I'm a masochist. OK, he's they are janitoring in, <laughs> quote, Uncle Fearless Shagford's office right and so they're just cleaning up for this dude they're just janitors right but then he but uncle shagford calls and is like i need you to deliver a package uncle shagford also never shows up he never like i don't know why he needs to be there just to prove that they are not the masters of their own destiny yeah something like that i don't know well so i was thinking like i'm watching this i'm like wow is this like is this the setup for the whole season that they work at this detective agency that they really don't want to work at because i i'm kind of into that 
you know, it's the fearless detective agency. And they're, of course, the two biggest scaredy cats in the whole universe. Right. And, yeah. and, and so I was like, oh, this is a great setup. Maybe this is what the whole thing's going to be like. But no, nope. is it just this episode? Yep. No. Yeah. So I feel like that's a pitch for somebody who is like, this is how I want to rewrite the whole next season. And they're like, eh, do one episode. <laughs> the, I, the, also, the, uh, I, Scooby-Doo from like, I don't know, very early on. Once, especially once the gang was out, it there are so many things that are just tossed up and then just gone immediately. And it's like, yeah. you could have had literally a season. You could have had a season written for you by just keeping this one plot device. But you have That's to right. reinvent the wheel every single episode. I mean, whatever. You know, well, reinvent I mean, the wheel. Yeah. Figure out another thing to uh, 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 trope that you need to uh, co-opt. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, it's funny. Yeah. You say, "Who is this for?" I remember there was an episode of Boy Meets World where I don't know why, but Corey's dreaming or he's backstage and gets hit with a sandbag. Whatever leads him into this, the whole episode is a parody of Casablanca. Oh come on! And look, I was a, uh, talk about a weird ass nine year old. Casablanca was my favorite movie, but like, movie. sure, but who is that for? Who in nineteen ninety seven? You know, I mean, yep. but also looking at it, I mean, in 97, stuff did move slower. Casablanca probably still had the staying power. I mean, now stuff moves so quickly. I mean, you can't do a, a parody of anything that's not two months ago without people, yeah. you know? And I think one of the hardest parts is, you know, with the the change in how movies are consumed, um, mm-hmm. the old model of a programmer at a television station buying packages of movies and scheduling them and scheduling the good ones in the prime hours and the less good ones in the wee hours. Right. You know, that, that gig is gone because it's all streaming now. And the hard part is with streaming services, there's no wee hours, Mm -hmm. you know, there's no time for like, there's literally no time for somebody to watch hard ticket to Hawaii on a streaming service. You know, there's no like, there's no structured hour right and and there's nobody who's made that service that's i guess caters to the the weird or the funky or the uh the forgotten or whatever else like amazon prime well (laughs) if you surf if you surf through amazon prime you're like what the hell is this so i made a horrible mistake on amazon prime i um uh, I have Amazon Prime for for business because I I get stuff delivered from them and mm. and then I started watching video and then I read a, a tremendous book called Radioactive Dreams and it is about Albert Payam the B movie filmmaker. Great. He made forty films. I I kind of want to snidely say he made forty films, none of them good, but mm-hmm. it's really that he made forty films and none of them lived up to his conception of what the film could be. And it was almost always budgetary, you know, budgets mm-hmm. were a problem for him th- through his whole career. Uh, his like highest peak is uh, maybe cyborg with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Like that's his, that's right. his biggest success story. And yeah. that played theatrically. And a lot of the majority of his films did not, you know, kickboxer three. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but on the other hand, like he would make like these funky, weird, oddball films uh some of which have ended up on riff tracks and mystery science theater <laughs> and some of which uh there's one that's called down twisted 
uh, or also called The Treasure of San Lucas, and you can find it in its entirety on YouTube. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> I love it when movies have an or. Like, yeah, yeah, or. Yeah, yeah, it's been retitled like seven times. Um, it is a wittily made, funkily structured and edited, engagingly shot, well-acted, nonsensical piece of, like rip off of romancing the stone um it's like a, a series of <laughs> that, a took, series a, of that took a left turn at the end i'll be yeah, honest yeah. i didn't see that coming <laughs> well there's a bunch of thieves that are trying to steal this religious artifact mm-hmm. and then there's uh uh carrie lowell who gets like dragged into the the middle of it um through a series of misunderstandings oh and charles rocket uh, who is the the sensible man who gets dragged into the middle of it through a series of misunderstandings? Great. Um, I I recommend it. But anyways, I is there still a I, guy saying, "Look at those snappers"? <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a there are a lot of oh the best the best Carrie Lowell line is uh, definitely definitely nothing's more serious than rent. <laughs> Uh, and you just have to and a young jonathan larson was like what what yeah right um uh, so i looked up a whole bunch of albert pyan films uh on amazon prime because where else are they gonna be Mm. and i put some of them in my watch list and now my watch list my suggested watches on amazon is great Oh my God, Laser Mission, which is some Italian James Bond clone from the early '90s. Marvelous. Uh, yeah, it's it's like it's a, it's nightmare fuel in there. One of them was called like Bloodlust 2000, and I was like, I don't even want to click on that. Oh, I wonder if I saw that one. <laughs> I had a roommate who watched a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, You've probably seen a bunch of Albert Pine films. I'm going to be honest, like uh, Nemesis, Nemesis Two, Nemesis Three, Nemesis Four, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Keep them Nemesis coming. Yeah, they were they were successful for him. One of them he made uh, while doing reshoots for Cyborg because he didn't want to do these reshoots, and the studio was making him do reshoots for on Cyborg to make it a little happier and to make the villain talk. Uh, okay, didn't didn't talk before. Make the villain talk and like add some drama and humor to it. And he didn't want to do them, but he was like, okay, fine. And they're like, okay, you have all this equipment and these three sets and this warehouse for one week. Got to get it done. And he's like, great, okay. Cool. Also, it, another movie. <laughs> Yeah, no, he does. He gets the reshoots done in two days, and then he uses the other five days to make an entirely different film. To, to make Superman two, the leftover film stock. Um, like he's uh, what he made that was I think Nemesis two. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, it's it's crazy. He's like he literally he's inspirational in that he never stops making films, and yeah. when there are huge roadblocks to him making films, he finds a way to make another film. He's you almost know? like he's a more like, accessible Ed Wood. Yeah, yeah, he's like, Man. like I would say a better Edward because he does have good filmmaking instincts and he knows where to put his camera, you yeah. know, and <laughs> like the camera moves well. The films are well edited in general. The, if anything is problematic with it from a technical standpoint, it's because a budget restriction, you mm. know, made them have to finish editing the film in 720p or something like that, you know, <laughs> like that's because that's, that's what they could do. Sure. Um, or green screen was the only way to do it. And so there's some garbage, garbage green screen, which is the, the later period in his films. There's a lot of very regrettable computer graphics, but you know, fun. You do what you do. You do what you can do. And I mean, the dude made 40, 40 films and they weren't self-released. That's pretty you know, prolific Four, 40 times. Somebody gave him money to make a movie. And that's, you know, that's praiseworthy. So the book's called radioactive dreams. You should read it. Great. Uh, I'll check that out, and then my Amazon Prime list will be weird. 
yes it, yes uh i don't know yeah there's really not a lot more to say about this episode though i don't know yeah i'm, I'm looking fat, at my list the fat uh, guy breaks the ladder i mean the roller, roller skate yeah. thing the roller skate oh, thing was yeah. funny yeah they didn't have roller skates and so they put fish on their feet because fish are slippery and so for the entire back half they're running fast by making um i, I wrote down horrible farting noises yeah <laughs> squelching is how i would go but it was like squelchy yeah. squelchy squelchy from a standing on fish this whole time and i was thinking about realistically like if we were doing the christopher nolan version of this scene how disgusting would that be but <laughs> you know thank god thank god christopher nolan likes batman and not scooby-doo um oh also there's a scene with naked shaggy later in the episode and i was like oh i didn't need that after all the fish feet stuff after know. peter laurie uses swordfish as throwing knives Yes, I also really enjoyed that. Yeah. I did like, I liked how that whole sequence, as soon as they had the fish on their feet till the end of the episode, I think was pretty stellar. <laughs> um, I also really started thinking about Scrappy-Doo mm-hmm. and how I think that he has like barely contained bloodlust, I think. Like he's he's a monster. He's a little monster and all he wants to do is go kill people. And he's start like, shit. At least. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. At the very you know, least, he wants to fight. Do you know Sam and Max? Uh, claymation movie? Sam Ma- uh, no. Uh, Sam and Max Freelance Police. Uh, Steve Purcell uh, was a, uh, a series of comics and then a very brief animated series and a series of video games mm. uh, from LucasArts. Uh, Purcell worked for LucasArts and like worked on things like Monkey Island. Uh, and so his distinctive sense of humor shows up in those games, Mm -hmm. but Sam and Max, it's a big shaggy dog. Who's a detective freelance freelance police detective and his tiny little adorable rabbit sidekick who is a straight up maniac, homicidal maniac. (laughs) And so the adorable rabbit is always killing things. And as I was watching this episode, it, it made me realize Max, the rabbit is a joke about scrappy doo. And I never really got that before. And I appreciate Scrappy Doo a little more. And I appreciate Sam and Max all the more because I already loved Sam and Max. But now knowing that, that you know, Max is actually Scrappy Doo except with, you know, knives. I mean, the thing about Scrappy Doo, when I like, when I watch enough of it and I start getting it into my head, I'm always kind of really like taken with Scooby and Shaggy's like commitment to keeping i mean them safe but also him safe even though he constantly throws them into these situations where he starts a fight and they have to extricate all of them out of it but yet they're never like you know there's never like you're going to live with your other uncle even though that's going to happen in the next thing we talk about but like you know they're always just like hey man you're part of the family (laughs) yeah you're gonna be here for the next 15 years I am not sure why they put up with Scrappy Doo, um, but I think I, I kind of like the little fellow. Yeah, I like his I like his murderous bent. You know, his blood boils and his little fists go. Puppy power, puppy pie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've been through oh, I've been through God. the whole roller coaster with him because uh, I mean, like as a kid, I probably didn't mind him yeah, that much. Like an abusive relationship scrappy do is that what's happening well yeah of course uh because then you know public opinion starts to sway you at some point yeah. and you're like oh everybody hates him i hate him too uh and then you know you st- and then you have the uh, uh reaction to public opinion and you're like well everybody hates him he can't be that bad oh, i love him 
Yeah, I, I do that with Neelix on Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> and sometimes the entire show of Star Trek Voyager. Sure. People hate this. I, it must be good. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like Neelix. I especially like the feet appliances that he has to wear on any episode where they show his feet. Because um, they're horrifying. <laughs> that show caught me at such a weird point in my life that I uh, had the pilot memorized and would recite it uh far more than i would like to admit wow yeah what a promising pilot that they they neutered almost immediately yeah to make it more star trek like Mm -hmm. like i think that they they were sort of course correcting from deep space nine a little bit because the criticism of deep space nine is how un star trek like it is especially they don't go anywhere (laughs) um well yeah not not only did they not go anywhere did they not they don't explore but also it it doesn't hold to a lot of the core you know, humans are great. Um, and this is the, the greatness of humans is what's going to set everything right in the galaxy. Hmm. You know, like the fundamental tenets of what makes humans good people. Well, I think that that's always what's interesting about Star Trek's um, stories with the Vulcans, because the Vulcans are not always in the right. Right. The Vulcans are smart. The Vulcans are strong and the Vulcans are logical but they lack the spark of humanity that makes us, you know, they don't have, they don't have pluck. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. They don't have pluck. That's what <laughs> Moxie. separates humanity. And yeah. So, you know, I think that the thing is like, um, deep space nine showed a lot of darkness in humanity. Hmm. Uh, I mean, it was a, it was, it was war. It was the war Star Trek. Right. Right. Yeah. And so I think that Voyager I mean, Voyager starts with a bunch of built-in conflicts that it jettisons very quickly. Right. I don't know that the show is better for it. I mean, I like Voyager. I really enjoy watching Voyager. Voyager is, to me, the most comfortable Star Trek. Mm-hmm. It is consistently Star Trek. Yeah. Start to finish. I don't think that it ha- hits the same highs as some of the other series. But it also doesn't hit I'd the same lows. Don't. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it was like it's it's pretty consistently right about here it is star trek and yeah. so i mean that's it's the that applebee's like of star trek but like yeah or like I, I was gonna call it almost like meatloaf but you know the thing is meatloaf can be very good and i like meatloaf and like bad out of hell can be nourishing no not no like oh. meatloaf the food. <laughs> meatloaf from rocky so horror jesus christ for 30 seconds i was like Wow, in any way is Meatloaf middle of the road? <laughs> You're thinking of Jim Sharman. You're thinking of Jim Sharman. Uh. <laughs> oh, my well, brain just was... had to do so much work. That was phenomenal. I don't know why you immediately think of Meatloaf the singer slash actor and I, not Meatloaf the food when someone says Meatloaf. He's probably more in my life than uh, the actual food is. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I'm Canadian. I don't know what it's like to be <laughs> American and eat food. Well, I do. Sometimes we go to the States and everything has cheese sauce on it. God, how do you survive that? What? Come on. Poutine. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's on special occasions. You eat that every day. You die. <laughs> It's like tortier. Do you know what tortier is? Tortier is like familiar. it is. It's like a shepherd's pie. Yeah. Except it's much heavier and much fattier and much richer. And if you ate it more than once in a month, you it will kill you. That sounds like something and my mom would make. It's like 
huge and heavy and like, oh, it's amazing. Mm. And like, it's just like oily and greasy and like, ugh, great. It's that sounds so like great. something we do eat every day down here. <laughs> and we don't have free health care, yeah. thank God. Uh, Tortilla is like a Christmas <laughs> food, you know. So, uh, Yabba, Yabba's Russell Hustle. They, I'm going to be honest. I had no idea who Yabba Do was when I started watching this. And I how like, did I? What, I is, it, is, he, is this the only time he shows up or does no, he show up more it, than once? It seems like he shows up a couple of times. Uh, maybe less frequently than like a Scooby Dumb. Okay. Uh, it seems okay. like Scooby Dome is probably the one that people remember the most, but uh, apparently he's the, like the cowboy do cousin. Also, I didn't put it. I I didn't put it together at first. Uh, my girlfriend walked in the room and went, "Oh, I get it. Yabba dabba do, like yeah. Flintstones." And I was like, "How did that take me so long?" <laughs> Oh, see, I saw the title and I was like, is this a Flintstones crossover episode? Because, I mean, I'm down for crossovers. I like crossovers nah, so much. It's not. But it wasn't a crossover. He's a cowboy. It was just a weird cowboy version of Scooby-Doo. Uh, I mean, he has a without lot of Scooby-Doo! Place. Yeah, without Scooby-Doo. There's no. I mean, I think they could have just put Scooby-Doo in this yeah. and called him Yabadoo and made him just be Cowboy Scooby-Doo. And I think I would have liked that more because they didn't like trying to get a bead on who this new Scooby-Doo was and then just having him be Scooby-Doo, but like a, with a different kind of fur and a different body shape and a different voice and yet doing all the Scooby-Doo things like eating the snacks. And then yeah, I did like that his snack had chili peppers in it. And so his face changed yeah, color. The, the chili, uh, chili, chili snacks. snacks. Yeah. Yeah. Chili snacks. Great. And they had just to right on the out. nose. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so we need Scooby for- snacks, chili snacks. Great. Chili snacks. Great. Yeah. It's, it's for kids. Don't make it too hard. Yeah. <laughs> there was a there was a uh Dan Harmon was tweeting from Disneyland and he made it to Oh, that's already my favorite thing. It was, Dan Harmon was tweeting from Disneyland. It was what is- great. And he just posted a picture of the Cars Land sign and he said, "Yeah, we could stay here till 2 a.m. naming this thing, Daryl, or I could go home right now and be eating dinner with my kids by 3." <laughs> Cars Land it is. Yep. It's the entirety of Scooby Doo. <laughs> oh man. Yep. Well, uh, chili snacks. I, this episode had cattle rustling in it, but they were the least. Okay, when we talk about, um, I was talking to you about. Yeah, being able like to break so down the finances. Ago. The finances of it. Yeah, yeah, these cattle rustlers cannot be making money if they're using this giant transport truck and this helicopter to steal like For one cow? cows. <laughs> what are these cows worth? What I are mean, they worth? Because the gas in the helicopter, the pilot for the helicopter, what are you paying him? You got to pay him a lot of money. This he, is, was a very unrealistic episode of Scooby-Doo. This cow seems uncharacteristically strong. Yes. Very good at uh, physics, being able to reassemble a, a house after oh, destroying yes, it with his back yes. hooves. That was pretty good. Uh, yeah, I don't know. This one is this one to me reeks the most of like this era of just like ah, just gag, 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 gag. What's yeah. happening? Who cares? I mean, the lipstick cow gag was pretty funny. They're yeah. disguised as a cow that was like had lipstick on the cow, so that we knew it was a cow and not a bull. And there is also um, something about a four-legged creature being half of the like horse <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know. Oh, where were his other legs during that? True, I didn't not... even think of that. I, I didn't think about that till just now. That didn't yeah. make any sense because he was the front half of it. So was he standing on his hind legs and hiding his, <laughs> his other legs? Right. 
Oh, I got to go watch this again. And I don't want to watch it again. Uh, Your kids are going to be like, dad lost it. Yeah. Dad, why are you watching that again? The um, one who didn't watch one, it was like, I didn't want to watch it the first time. The youngest one, I'm going to be honest. The younger one, the youngest one said, uh, do you have more episodes of this? <laughs> I was like, Son, I had to buy the season to watch this episode. So, Did you really? Uh, yep. No, I didn't have to buy the season. I had to buy the box set. You couldn't buy it. You couldn't buy the single episode. So I had to pay 30 bucks and buy the whole friggin' Scooby and Scrappy-Doo box set just to watch this. So well, we're going to have fine. to do a... Uh, yeah, we're, we're going to have to do more of these. Of these. Apparently I got like another 100 episodes to watch to get my money's worth out of this set. Oh, oh that's great. Uh, things I, I do for the internet. Yeah, I thought the uh, the clamp off of the helicopter was super shitty. <laughs> But it also seemed custom made just for cows. So again, the finances of this are are beyond me. But skinny cows, because it fit yeah. the two of them. But it wouldn't have fit that other cow. Well, I, I think it expands and contracts. I think it's some magic metal. Ooh. Yeah. All right, now you I'm know, into car- it. Car- cartoon metal that like that like shrinks and like the Transformers from the Transformers cartoon. <laughs> so they get really tiny and really big. Yeah. 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 I went and saw a, a play last summer and uh of Transformers, please say. Transformers. I wish it was. Uh I want to do I want to do I'm writing down in my notebook right now Transformers the play. My uh my dream is to do a uh gorilla live uh stunt spectacular of the Russian movie Guardians. Ooh. Uh which is a horrible movie. Yeah. Uh, I highly recommend checking it out on Amazon Prime. Uh Okay. Not only is the uh, the dubs are terrible, uh, and I'm 99% sure all the male parts are played by one guy. Oh, yes. Okay. I'm in. I'm uh, in. I wrote it down. And uh, also, the acting is terrible. Like, if it was like a like a Russian movie and like just the bad, it was just bad dubs, it'd be like one thing. But the acting yeah. is terrible, and it's compounded by the terrible dub. It's fin- It's phenomenal. Uh, but I I've always wanted to do. I've wanted to do a live stunt spectacular of it, like in a park, like with like trampolines, <laughs> and have be, it be, be overdubbed. So like the actors are like on stage, being like, "Oh my god!" You know, uh, that'll be great. But this play that I saw, uh, nobody. <laughs> there was a lot of miming. They had to pantomime like handing cups to each other, and okay. uh, nobody could keep the size of their hands consistent <laughs> so like somebody would like hand what appeared to be like a small cup and the person taking it all of a sudden had like a beer stein <laughs> nice nice so very, right. it was a very fun detail i was just thinking of um one of my favorite theater going experiences um well, it's Transformers Ontario, the Musical <laughs> yeah Transformers the Musical which is a thing that I'm absolutely going to write I'm going to write a song about oh my god what is Optimus Prime's I Want song? Uh, well, there has to be song? The Spark. Oh, yes, of course. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. So this is, it'll write itself. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> no, I was thinking of uh, in Ontario, there's a, there's a place called Stratford. And in Stratford, it's the Stratford Festival, which is a really big deal. Primarily Shakespeare, but not entirely Shakespeare Festival that has been going on here for basically much longer than I've been around. Mm-hmm. And... Um, the a few years ago i got to see in one of the small theaters because they have they have the big main stage and they have uh, like a middle-sized stage and then they have this little tiny theater space where they do weird stuff uh that i love 
Okay. And they were doing a, a production of Titus Andronicus. Great. And it Baked was, into the pies. Yes. Well, so I, I, this is exactly what it's about, actually. <laughs> um, but uh, I, it was starring, and now I've forgotten his name. Kenneth Branagh. He's, he's the one actor who had been on every iteration of Star Trek. Uh, I don't think he's been on Discovery yet, so he has to get on Discovery so that he can be the one actor who's been on all the iterations of Star Trek. But he's always a Vulcan or a Klingon or a Cardassian. He's somebody officious, hmm. you know, and he's got this great like shouty range. He was a really terrific Titus Andronicus. But anyways, um, because the theater is so very small, the audience is essentially right on top of, you know, the play the whole time. And he's shouting. And so... For the, yeah, oh yeah, and for the big final sequence. He's playing to the back uh, of the room that's 10 feet back. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it, right? Uh, but the, the there are these actresses that are coming around with these trays of little pies. No. You know, because we are we are the people at the, the, uh, the you know, the, the party at the end, right? Yep. And they're passing them out, and the person on one side of me takes the pie, and the person on the other side of me takes the pie, and I make eye contact with the lady who's holding the pies out, and I shake my head. No, you're like I know what this wink. is about. Yeah, I I know this play. But she gives me this wink and moves on to the next person. <laughs> and and later when he shouted, "Here, here, baked in the pie," the guy with my seatmate beside me actually spat the pie out of his <laughs> mouth into his hand, and I was like, "Dude, it's not. They didn't actually kill those actors and bake them into this pie. It's just a plot point from." you know, several hundred years ago. Which also seems like a hilarious thing to have to explain to somebody. No, this professional theater company who probably Did had to not. fill out tax forms didn't murder people and feed them to you. That's right. I feel so bad that I don't remember his name, but I'm Googling it right now. Okay, let's get this into um, it. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta get this. Uh, this is Stratford Titus. That should get me a review. Driver Festival, Titus Andronicus. Yeah, yeah. What year? What year? Uh oh. Oops. No, 1953. No, that's still fucking good. Wait <laughs> a minute. Hold on a second. 2011. Here we go. Okay. I found it. I found it. 2011 in the Tom Pattison Theater. Tom Pattison was the little, uh, little th- John Vickery. That's the guy, John <laughs> Vickery. And so if you look him up on uh, IMDb, uh, IMDb, yeah, he's Wikipedia. Freaking everything. I'm looking at him right now. Mm. Um, no, no, no. Just show me his IMDb. There you go. Uh, yeah, his IMDb picture is literally a Klingon. <laughs> uh, oh, he's the um, Enterprise. Remember Enterprise? Uh, the Klingon lawyer that they have for for Archer. Great. Uh, when he's when he's on trial on the Klingon homeworld. Yeah, great. That's he. Uh, that's he played. Uh, but yeah, he's he's and, been in all the Star Treks. He's great. Uh, Enterprise always makes me think of the gag in um, Futurama where Scott Bakula and the head of Scott Bakula and the head of uh, uh, George Takei are flying and he just goes, way to ruin the franchise, Bakula. Bakula, yeah. (laughs) Man, I don't know. Enterprise is a good series. I'm I'm not going to get into that fight. I mean, yeah, but the other thing, uh, Star Trek, like anything else, is going to, uh, people are going to love to hate it. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it, it garners passion. And yeah. like Star Wars, like uh, Twin Peaks, like any of these things that people were so fervent about for so many years, it, you know, the, the passion. Wait, did, did people hate the new Twin Peaks? Huh? 
What? Did people hate the new Twin Peaks? Oh no! Did you not? Did were you away from the internet for a while? <laughs> I basically, I don't. You know what? I am generally secure enough in how I feel about things. Yeah, that I don't kind of give a shit about how other people feel. I'm entertained by the way that other people feel about things. Yes, that's and that's where I go. Yeah. Well, yeah. okay, Last Jedi. <laughs> I like Last Jedi, dude. I had a blast. No, we we talked about it. I had a blast in that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, You were the one who told me all the Kurosawa references. Oh yeah, yeah. (laughs) Was that the last time we talked? Maybe. Oh man, it's been a while. Swear Trek has been been down for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the Swear Trek Slack has had no action in it, Mm -hmm. and Dirty Secret. I haven't made any new ones in like four months <laughs> it's all you know what here's the thing when you make uh 1500 of them you can do reruns three a day and people will still be seeing new stuff that they've never seen before because nobody saw 1500 of them go through you know? yeah yeah so i think that's what billy joel did for songs uh <laughs> that's so mean but people people didn't like the new twin peaks huh? yeah i mean obviously people are going to complain about everything that's of the course. thing. But the, that's the the idea that like when people uh, invoke passion or all of a sudden feel like investing themselves in it yeah. to then then they feel betrayed or whatever. I mean, that's possibly one of the things I love most about Scooby-Doo is that it really lacks that passion. <laughs> the passionate fan base. Yeah. Yeah. So like you can do whatever with Scooby-Doo and people are kind of like, oh, whatever. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you still I get mean, people I, who are like, you know, whatever. Uh, hate Scrappy Doo. Yeah, they hate Scrappy Doo. He murdered my parents. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> it's ridiculous, but uh, but overall, I mean, all three of these episodes were harmless. Um, yep. I would say the third I mean, one. The third one, by and large, was the one where I was like the least invested because it was just kind of like, oh, and maybe it's because I hadn't seen that plot a million times. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's not Maltese Falcon, so why should I care? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Barely Maltese I, Falcon, sorry. Yeah. I I don't know. If I had to pick one of these as my favorite, yep. <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm gonna go for I'm gonna go for the Maltese mackerel because of the fish mm. strapped to their feet. If we just had roller skates and um, yeah, that part. Yeah, Great. that part was that part was a really unexpected strange visual gag and i'm gonna give it bonus points for entirely defying my expectations like i just i didn't think today i would watch a cartoon where people strapped fish on their feet so they could run faster and um, in lieu of roller skates because that was the plan that's right because fish are slippery that's the logic here where did they get the rope i don't even want to know and also how do the ropes hold the fish on because the fish are i don't want to fish are slippery I'm, uh, I'm. I can't argue with this show. It's well, Scooby-Doo. interestingly enough, that kind of brings us into the only segment we actually have on this show. We are starstuck at the universe's test. Does this test the Sagan test, which is famed philosopher of science and scientist himself, Carl Sagan, once said that he wanted an adult version of Scooby Doo because it endorsed skepticism and the scientific method. Does this episode pass <laughs> the Sagan test? Did we do this the last time I was on? I don't think it existed <laughs> at that point. Okay. Um, um, there was no supernatural in this mm-hmm. 
at all. So I don't think there's anything to be skeptical of. True. Everything uh, was handed like, to them. Yeah. It was just a bunch of like guy phones and tells them to do something. And then they did it. And it sort of happened the way that they expect. That's the first. That's the Maltese mackerel. Yeah. Um, some bullies tried to cheat at basketball by using the computer. Yep. Video and game. And then, and then, yeah. And then they, the Scooby and Scooby and Shaggy cheat back. That's how they win. Yeah. By also cheating. Right. And then they say cheaters never prosper. But like, <laughs> it was a wonderfully ironic moment. Yeah. It turns out. Turns out that they they just were better at cheating. Right. Uh, is, that a, is that a parable about modern America? Two wrongs don't make a right, or two <laughs> yeah. wrongs make a right, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Three um, lefts make a right. <laughs> so, no, I don't think that passes any kind of Sagan test. Yeah. And, I don't know, the lipstick cow and the helicopter cattle wrestling, that that's straight up stupid. Like, it didn't, it was... I felt bad for the amount of money those wrestlers were going to lose just on the helicopter wrestle. So yeah, who you know, who um, did that album? Doesn't that that lipstick cows and helicopter cattle wrestling? Is that like Gary yeah. Newman? Who is that? Sounds like one, doesn't it? Oh, man. <laughs> Huey Lewis and the News presents yes. lipstick cows and helicopter oh, cattle I wrestling. Could- I uh, have a sideline in playing songs that shouldn't be played on the ukulele on the ukulele. And I'm just yeah. writing down Huey Lewis because I should do some Huey Lewis songs this on the ukulele. That would be great. Uh, that would actually be kind of nice. That would be nice on the ukulele. I had a friend, I, who, he just oh, texted me that video for that. And he said, I have a real problem with the way that he says girl in this. <laughs> girl. Um, there's a There's a truly great moment on Twitter where a bunch of us told stories about one of my former coworkers um, because uh, how do I set this up? Okay. So one of the things I do on social media is F and birds. Mm-hmm. You can find it on all your social medias at E F F I N birds. birds. <laughs> um, and on Instagram where they started doing the thing that it doesn't say, you know, liked by 765 people. Instead it says liked by someone's name and others. Is that that's only in Canada, right? Is that not in the states? Yet? Yeah, I think that's only in Canada. I, I know it's something they were piloting. Yeah, yeah. And it's not for every one of my accounts. It's currently only for the freaking biggest account I have. So whatever. <laughs> but um, but it shows you know liked by person and others. And the thing is, every one of them, every one of them says they're liked by my former coworker Mark and others. Part of it is that Mark likes everything that effing birds posts very nice which is fine but but also there are a lot of other people who like everything that effing birds posts yeah okay so it's like well maybe it's that he's like close to me in some way nope it favors mark over my own wife (laughs) over my children um the other day it said liked by mark and others and i clicked on and others to see who the others were and the others were jody sweeten from full house and Joel McHale. And I was, like, I was like, these are not others. These are the who are not the others. These are like, it's just like, liked by Jody Sweeten and others. Okay. Like, liked by Joel McHale and others. Not liked by Mark and others. And so. Uh, I love, I, 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 I love that this. he has the most nondescript white guy named to Mark. Oh, you want to know what his last name is? LeBlanc. Great. Mark LeBlanc. Very yeah, Canadian. So, uh, Mark is, uh. 
I think the thing that makes it extra funny is that Mark is the most goofball of goofballs mm. that I have ever met. Mark, uh, <laughs> I, I was having a hard time telling Mark stories. And so I invited people on Twitter to, who used to work with me to share Mark stories. And my friend Matt uh, tweeted at me that one time Mark ran out to find him in the middle of the workday and said, Matt, Matt, there's something really important, really important uh, that, that's happening at the back. You have to come to the back with me. And what what happened when Matt got back there is that Mark was watching the music video for uh, John Farnham's You're the Voice. <laughs> and he just wanted somebody to watch it with because it was making him because it was making him cry. <laughs> and Mark <coughs> Mark one time fell asleep in the bathroom and we lost him for an hour and nobody could find him. And it turns out he had been asleep in the bathroom. And then he was just super open about it. We're like, Mark, where were you? He's like, oh, I fell asleep in the bathroom. So <laughs> also, Mark has a very distinctive Canadian accent. Like okay. when you think of people who are putting on a comedy Canadian accent. Sure. Like Timura. Um, like Bob and Doug McKenzie. Okay. Oh, okay. Accent, All right. right. So Mark legit has that accent. He is from that part of Ontario where you talk like that. Great. And so he will speak in that voice, which makes you sound kind of dopey. <laughs> and so when you, when you have that accent and you do things like fall asleep in the bathroom for an hour and nobody can find you at work, uh, or you tell a story about how you accidentally burned off your eyebrows and your mustache when you were trying to start a bonfire because of how much, uh, you know, barbecue starter you used. You also have uh, a mustache. Yeah. Well, he had a mustache. He yeah. burned it off. Uh, he, and then I was like, why are you making a bonfire? He's like, Oh, it's for my old job at the radio station. And we're like, Mark, that doesn't do go together station. And he was like, Oh no, no, I was, I was, you know, he was the on air talent. We're like, you were on the on air talent. And then he suddenly switches, he switches off his Mark voice and he does perfect radio announcer voice. And he tells me what the weather's going to be, that the traffic is really bad and what's coming up next after the break. And I was like, Mark, why don't you talk like that all the time? He's like, Oh man, that's a lot of work. <laughs> And now here's another long distance dedication from Deborah. Yeah, exactly. So, anyways, um, yeah, that's, that's right. Mark. So it's like if anybody likes anything of Evan Birds is on Instagram. I see liked by Mark, Mark. and others. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of Evan Birds, yeah, speaking of Evan Birds, it's a right? good opportunity to. Uh, Isn't there a uh, publication a book coming? Yeah, um, the fine people at Ten Speed Press have decided in their infinite wisdom that there should be effing birds books in bookstores for this Christmas, which is, um, kind of pressure. It's kind of pressure to, to have a book in the bookstore at Christmas. Cause that's, I mean, they believe that you can sell lots of copies of a book. And so, Oh my God, please everybody buy my book. Cause I'm going <laughs> to write a second book. Um, and, uh, so the book is called effing birds, a field guide to identification. It pretends to be a bird guide, but is mostly um, a guide to people who have wronged me. Marvelous. Yes. Um, it includes uh, a Mark. segment of my 20. 20- yeah, Mark is, um, is Mark in the book? 
I don't think Mark is in the book because I like I he really never wronged you. My time working with Mark. Yeah, exactly. He didn't do anything bad to me. I mean, he knew how to ride the line at our workplace, not get fired while doing all the things that should get somebody fired. Mm. I really enjoyed that about him, particularly the one time he got into a loud argument with our manager about why he should be a w- allowed to wear the umbrella hat that he had because it was a hat that was literally an umbrella strapped to his head. Yeah, like one and, of those beanies with the right. Yeah, yeah. and and. And Mark's point was, there's no rule that says I cannot wear this. He's not wrong. He's like, he's like, the rules say I can't, it can't have a logo and it can't have words. This does not have a logo or words. It's an umbrella. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So compelling. Um, God, I love Mark. Um, no, but it does have my 2017 annual review, uh, okay. like in detail and, uh, <laughs> a bunch of other great stuff in there. Uh, I slander the Earl of Sandwich on one of the pages. Um, okay. He never did anything to me, but you know, he. Oh, not the restaurant. Okay. Oh no, no, the real Earl of Sandwich. Good. The actual, the historical Uh, figure. Yeah. Uh, In Hawaii. Yeah. In Hawaii. I don't know. (laughs) Sounds about right. Uh, There's, there's, (laughs) there's a pot shot at uh, uh, Bud Selig, the former commissioner of Major League Baseball, uh, Hmm. who one time had me kicked out of a baseball stadium. That's a story for another day. Whoa. Oh yeah, I got a call from uh, the commissioner's office. That's they literally the, the the people who came to escort me from the stadium said, "Oh, we really appreciate what you're doing here today, sir." But uh, we've had a call from the commissioner's office, and I was like, "The commissioner of Major League Baseball." They were like, "Yes, we've had a call from the commissioner's office of Major League Baseball. We're to escort you from the premises." <laughs> uh, spoiler: They took my sign away and then gave me in the action seats. <laughs> I um. Well, the shortest version of this story is an umpire had done a very had made a very terrible call in the game before Great. and uh, had kicked out a player who was in the running for the Cy Young Award, but needed to basically win one more game on the season to to seal it up. And it was his second last start of the season and mm-hmm. he was cruising to a win, but he was he had not yet completed enough innings to get the win. Uh, and he got kicked out of the game for a, for a no good reason at all. And I. I posted something on the web because I was writing a lot about baseball at the time. And I used to do these stunts where I'd bring eight foot signs to the ball game uh, that were always ridiculous and silly and funny. And I, I posted, I, you know, I almost want to break my no negative sign rule. And then I got this email from somebody in the, you know, in the executive for the team. And they said, look, we can't do anything about what happened and we can't express displeasure in any way. So So... you want to break your no negative sign rule. I can give you a door where you can enter and no one will see what your sign says. And I can get you some seats that will be in the sight line of umpire Phil Cousy for the entire game. I can't guarantee what will happen once you're in with your sign, but right. you know, we, we can get you in there. So I made a giant sign that said, Hey, Phil eject this. <laughs> every, every break in play, we would unfurl this eight foot long sign that said, Hey, Phil eject this. And uh, by the third inning, they came, they came for us. <laughs> something like so like it's aggressive but it's like it's aggressive in like the way like someone would be aggressive in like an 80s sitcom right i didn't first of all i didn't insult him right i didn't say anything about his his mother right yeah abilities as an umpire there's no comment on what he had done which was to an eject eject a player for a stupid reason there's no vulgarity yeah Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, this was italicized to imply vulgarity. Was it in Comic Sans? <laughs> um, no, I'm not that much of a monster. Uh, Helvetica, <laughs> all the way. Yeah. 
was, um, no, shoot, I remember the name of the font. I have to go look. But Future, I have pictures uh, of that sign. I'm very, I'm very pleased with it. Hey, Phil, eject this. It was <laughs> such a good sign. And uh, when the when the when the uh, when the guys, the ushers came to eject me, and they were like explaining apologetically, and I was like, guys, I have a sign that says, "Hey, Phil, eject this." Like it literally asked for this to be the outcome so i can't be mad and they're like well thank you for being so understanding because we also have the police at the top of the stairs if you don't want to go and i was like oh no no it's fine here let's go let's go because also this is going to uh play out the bit for everyone who's seen me with this sign that's that's exactly it right like it's it's like a beatles rooftop concert you know if the cops don't come and shut that down they did it wrong because literally they did that rooftop concert to get shut down by the cops uh well the book is effing birds Evan Birds by available Aaron Little. For That's me. Pre pre order. So it's available everywhere on October fifteenth. Okay. Uh, you can order it right now on all the places. You know, mm-hmm. if you go to IndieBound or if you go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble or any of those places, uh, uh, you can pre order it. We are trying to uh, make a push for uh, about nine thousand pre orders if we can make that happen, only because that will make a New York, New York Times bestseller. And I would very much like my fake bird book that is me settling personal grudges. 100%, I would love that to be a bestselling <laughs> book. And so um, if you are considering buying it, uh, please pre-order it or buy it during that first week so that my first week of sales can can hit that bestseller list. Oh my gosh. Uh, because I don't have a shot at it by week two, you know? So week <laughs> one is the week where it's going to happen. Um, <laughs> You know, and I think it's an achievable goal. Uh, F and Birds has like 160,000 followers on Twitter, and Swear Track has like 120,000 followers. And then there's also Instagram, there's also Tumblr. I have a big following on Tumblr. You know, like I figured Whoa. it out one time. It, Damn, it you and a bunch of 14 year old girls. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. Tumblr's great. <laughs> Uh, if I figured about if four percent of the people who follow me on social media buy it in the first week, I'll be a uh, oh Tumblr.ca so. is very different. <laughs> no, no, no. Effingbirds.tumblr.com. It's a magical place. It's, um, I like that. I can't even figure out how to reply to somebody on Tumblr because I don't think you're supposed to. No, just a bunch of stuff happens. It's yeah. Tumblr. It's great. I love yeah. It. If you ever get the. Uh, uh, the urge, the Tumblr TV app on Apple TV makes no sense whatsoever. Is there such a thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm going to go install that right now. It I'm doesn't make any go. sense. It's bizarre. It's, Tumblr.tv. I love it. Yeah. I don't know why it's yeah. there. I don't know what its purpose is. It's like Instagram's watch app, which sadly went away after being useless for two years. Oh. It was, it was a way to scroll through a very, very tiny version of Instagram on your watch. I was like... <laughs> This is not a sensible thing that human beings want to do. No one asked for this. And yet I'm still doing it on the and toilet. And yet I'm still doing this. And I'm a little bit sad that it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> oh, well, Aaron, this has been phenomenal. This has been great. Thank yeah. you for having me on again. Uh, I had a blast. I like it when I'm invited back on a show because it means I didn't embarrass myself totally the first time. Hell no. Uh, you bring a wonderful energy, amazing stories. Uh and a, and a certain uh, Canadian charm. <laughs> oh, thanks. I wore a plaid shirt for you. I don't know if you can see this. Oh, but yeah. I did wear a plaid flannel shirt to just tie, you know, amp up my Canadianness. A little bit. Yeah, we talked about. And that. I was and I was eating Fisherman's Friends. I don't know if you know what those are. I don't. Are, I'll have to look. That I hear one up. they're pretty Canadian because every time I mention them to Americans, they don't know what they are. They are. <laughs> um, if your throat hurts, 
nothing is better than a fisherman's friend. And if you are coughing and you don't want to cough, nothing is better than a fisherman's friend, except for Heikadan. And we'll talk about Heikadan in a second. But um, the medicinal ingredients of fisherman's friends are menthol and eucalyptus oil. Huh, and the non-medicinal ingredients are licorice powder. I was about to say licorice. Yeah. So right, it's it. menthol and licorice powder. And hmm. it's, uh, I mean, it tastes kind of horrible. Yeah. Uh, and but you're not coughing. Like a term. I'm not, I didn't cough once. No, I did cough once. Maybe. Um, maybe you edited it out and nobody heard it. Uh, did I tell you about Heikadan though? Heikadan. Yeah. I had a really I hardly know cough. a Dan. Oh yeah. I had a terrible, terrible cough and I couldn't sleep. And they gave me a thing called Heikadan, which is a cherry flavored opiate. Boop. So it tastes like a cough syrup. But it knocks you for a loop. Goes and, down like a heroin. <laughs> my doctor was very specific. He was like, you should have your pajamas on already. <laughs> you should have completed all things that you want to get done during this day. You should take this and just go lie down. Great. And I did that. But what I didn't do was stay away from my phone. And the first night that I was on Heikadan, was this when you were a uh, shopping? Series of tweets. Yes, I ended up buying from AliExpress over a dozen cowboy hats. The cowboy I, hats. I did not know that I had done it until they started arriving at my home <laughs> sixty days later, as is, you know, normal for AliExpress. <laughs> so yeah, um, if you take Heikadan, uh, put your phone in a box with a lid or a lock or something like that, because. Man, and the tweets were something else. They were really something else. <laughs> uh, from Aaron Reynolds to you, a PSA. Yeah. I mean, it's great, but also it's not good. <laughs> and a reminder to all, to you and yours this holiday season, it's great, <laughs> but it's not good. But it's also not good. Yeah. <laughs> What's With You Scooby-Doo is a member of the Stolen Dress Podcast Network. Visit StolenDress.com to check out our other Stolen Dress podcasts, blogs, tweets, videos, and books.